Hi, thanks for listening to C3 Hobart Online. If this message impacts you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us. Thanks for listening. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the freedom that we can come today. We we thank you for the freedom that we can sing Jesus Christ, my living hope. We give you all the glory and we give you all the honour. In your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take a seat? Thank you, beautiful team. Abby, I'm going to have to pull you away from the piano for just a, a few minutes. You can come back later on. <laughs> Fantastic. It is uh, it's great to be back up here again. Um, you know, speaking about but to serve, there is. Uh, there reminds me of a verse that Peter gave to the early church. And he said this, God has given each of you some special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other. Passing on to other, others God's many kinds of blessings. He said, are you called to preach them? Preach as though God himself was speaking through you. Are you called to help others? Do it with all the strength and all the energy that God supplies so that God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, the power forever and ever. Amen. That's what But to Serve is about. In order that we can go out into a community and God is given the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Fantastic. We are in a series called Unqualified, and I'm returning to the Old Testament to preach out of the book of Judges, out of the book of Judges, and I I preach out of the Old Testament uh, every now and then, because although the New Testament is is a beautiful place to be, it's the early church, we learn how to do things, and it's a great place to preach out of it, we are a Jesus-centered, spirit-led church, right? That's who we are. We're a Jesus-centered, spirit-led church. But it's nice to go to the Old Testament. Why? Because in the Old Testament, we find it's a place where you find God using everyday, ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. So I encourage you, spend some time in the Old Testament. Don't just read them as as, uh, Sunday school or kids' ministry things. Read them and understand how God is using everyday, ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. I would normally get you to turn to your Bibles, to the scripture I'm going to use today, but I'm going to use just one verse. I'm going to preach out of one verse of scripture today. And it comes from Judges chapter 3, verse 31. So for all of those who were uh, having bets with me what verse it is, I'm not sure you got this one, Ash. Judges chapter 3, verse 31. After Ehud came Shemgar. Everyone say Shemgar. Say it again, Shemgar. You're not saying it was much enthusiasm because I don't think you've heard the word before. Say Shemgar. After Ehad came Shemgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. The title of my message is simply, Who? Now it's quite uh, common for parents to name their children after a biblical hero of faith. We could look around and there'd be Noah, David, Samuel, Elijah, Gideon, Hannah, Deborah. So as part of my extensive research for today's message, I decided to consult with our First Steps ministry, which is our playgroups. 
And uh, I wanted to find out if there was a plethora of babies in our playgroups being born going around with the name Shemgar. Yeah. The answer was a look of bewilderment and then a very polite comment that went something like this. Don't you have something pastoral to go and do? <laughs> Let's be honest, Shemgar is hardly a household name. There's a movie called Caroline or Caroline. And there's a scene where Caroline, who's this, this uh, animated, adventurous young girl, bends down to a cat and she says, Hi, my name is Caroline. What's your name? To which the cat replies, Cats don't have names. You don't? replied Caroline in surprise. No, said the cat. Then the cat went on to say, People have names because people are always searching for a meaning to who you are. We're cats. We know who we are, so our value is not tied up in our name. <laughs> Early on in my paramedic career, I spent time at a station in Sydney called Parramatta Station. And uh, at the time, uh, Parramatta Station was probably the biggest station in the whole of Sydney, in the amount of cars that would go out from there each shift. And there was this almost uh, ritual practice that occurred at the start of every shift. And it went a little bit like this, whereby, uh, this was in the mid-90s, whereby they would go through all the stations and what the stations had to do was that they had to sign on their vehicles. So you would, you would sign on as what type of vehicle you are, whether it was a rescue truck or intensive care paramedic or general duties, what they used to be called at the time. You would call out your truck number and you would call out the surnames of the crews who were on board. Now this was always the job of the most junior person on the station, the probie. And then there was those who went to, you know, Avalon Station up in the north of, uh, of, of Sydney and they would have two cars because not much happened up there. And they would sign them on and they would have their two cars. And then you'd head all the way, start down, and then you'd get to Parramatta Station. And I got to Parramatta Station in the summer of 95, 96, and uh, I was the junior, I was the probie. So it was my job. I've got to Parramatta Station and you know that this is sort of your initiation, your job to do. And I've got there and I soon realised on my first shift that there is 26 cars about to be signed on. So I started. Here I would go. Rescue truck 914, Hogan and Bates. ICP truck 916, Jones and Berry. So on and so on. General Duties truck 512, white and black. Yes, I did two years with Kevin Black. <laughs> and I would do this for three months, every shift. You had worked up such a sweat. Because the reason is, is that every single other car and every single other person on your shift is sitting there listening to you saying their name come across the airwaves. So I might be at Parramatta Station, but the other crews on, on, in our block, in the, what was the inner west block, were listening for their name to be spoken out over the airways. I did it for three months until the new probies come and then you hand over the pen and the piece of paper to them. Do you know the pride I felt 
the first day when the new Proby came out, huh, do you know, the funny thing is, their name was Green. <laughs> it's true, true story. The pride I felt the day I got to hand over the pen and the piece of paper and I went and stood in the middle of the plant room and as Mandy Green was there in her nervous little voice starting on the 26 trucks that I had done and then I waited and it booms over the radio in the plant room station. 512, white and black. I had my cape on. I was ready to save Sydney. Until, of course, your first job was to go and help an elderly lady who had fallen down her back step and you had to give her a, uh, anyway, a bedpan. In reality, my name was one of over 400 names that would be called out at the start of every shift. The single verse of scripture that I read was kind of like Shamgar's signing on over his airwaves. Do you know he's only mentioned in that verse and one other verse in the whole Bible. That verse and one other verse a little bit further on in Judges where Deborah starts talking about Shamgar. Yet here was a man that we read that saved a nation. He didn't just save Sydney. He didn't just save the elderly lady who had tripped over. Shamgar saved a nation. Yet he is given one verse in the whole Bible. Galatians 5 says this. The anointed one has set us free, not partially, but completely free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. You see, there was something about Shemgar. Because the power is found not in the declaration of our name, but in what we do in his name. You see, it says Shamgar came after Ehad. But what does it say? He killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. He too glorified God. The glory was not in the name Shamgar. There is no babies being born in Shamgar. There's no Shamgars came over the radio of the ambulance station that I ever heard in my entire life. He is given one verse in here, but he too saved Israel. I've got a few points that I want to bring out of this. The first is this, your worth is not found in who you are, but your willingness to serve others. Shemgar bin Anath, which would literally mean son of. Shemgar, son of or descendant of Anath. And this terminology is still very present in the Arab world today. And having lived in that culture, everybody took the name of their father. Even the daughters took the name of their father. And in all respect, it's actually quite a painful experience for them. Because for many of them, their relationship with their father was non-existent. Yet their culture was to take the name of their father. And for many of them, it was a challenge because it was actually very, very painful. Some steroids carrying the pride of their father's name, they carried the name that was almost as a burden. 
And as it related to Shemgar, Anath was actually most likely not even his biological father. In fact, most historians will tell you that Anath uh, was, was the goddess of war, the protector of Pharaoh, and that Shemgar was a, was a farmer who turned kind of like a fighting mercenary who fought for Pharaoh and therefore adopted the lineage of a protector but not even of his natural father. I want to acknowledge this morning that there will be many who carry the physical name of your biological father but yet carry the scars of an absent father. Or a father whose example was not one of being caring, loving, and to even think of saying his name here this morning in your own mind is painful. And for that I'm truly sorry. And I want to declare over you life that when we receive Christ into our life, John 1.12 says this, but as many who received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believed in his name. Furthermore, Paul reminded us when he said, I will be, this is the Lord speaking, he said, I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me. Here's the other part for Shemgar. If you look at his name, his value is not found in his ancestry. And, and there'll be some who, where today we like, well, I wasn't born on the right side of the tracks. I wasn't born into the names. I love, I love you know, hearing the, the, the famous names, especially up in the northwest of Tasmania. There's a, very, there's a pride in the lineage that it goes through the, the farming community up there that is very, very special. And there's a pride that goes with that. That fathers and grandfathers and, and, and generations along have done that. Yet there are some who will go, well, I didn't get that because my last name means nothing. My father's name means nothing. My father was, was unemployed. My father left school at 13. My own father left school at 13 to work on the farm. And there's, there's some... Like for Shemgar, who didn't know his natural father, or we certainly don't hear about his natural father. The pride I felt this morning when I see my own daughter doing a, an offering message. Yet for many people, when we're standing up here worshipping, we're praying for our fathers still. We're declaring for our father. Can I just take one minute and just, and just, just declare with you? If you're praying for your father... Keep praying. Keep declaring. If there has been brokenness, if there has been pain in that situation, I want to just, just I'm, I'm going to be praying with you. I don't know them by, by name, but our Heavenly Father knows them. He knows your heart's desire. And I just pray that you just keep declaring that God is good and God is on the throne. And we are children of our Most High God. Number, the second point is this. It's not about what you don't have, but what you do. There's an old Jewish teaching which asks the, which asks the question, why did God speak to Moses from a thorn bush? Why did God speak to Moses from a thorn bush that is actually of no relevance to anybody else? And the Jewish rabbis answer it by saying this, God picked a thorn bush to put on fire, to teach you and I that no place 
is devoid of his presence and that all created things are of value to him. You see, we can take a thorn bush and in the Middle Eastern culture, the thorn bush is, is actually despised. The reason it's despised is because the lambs rub up against it and they, they rip their, 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 their coats. The goats rub up against it and they rip their coats and it creates blemishes on them and then their offerings were not as, as pure as what it wanted to be. Yet the, 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 the rabbi teaching in this is to say that even in those things that we believe are devoid, even those things that we believe are broken, they are created by our Heavenly Father. And if you follow the story of Moses, you understand that God will use whatever is in your hand because God is not looking for you to negotiate with your head. He desires you to say yes with your heart. Too often what we do is we negotiate with our head of God, I will do this when you give me this. And God's saying, no, no, you actually say yes with your heart and then I will provide for you. Let's face it, this story of Shemgar would have been very much more believable if we had read that Shamgar killed 600 Philistines with armed tanks and a series of Scud missiles, right? Yet we read that Shamgar killed 600 trained fighters, the Philistines were trained fighters, with an ox goad. Do you know what an ox goad is? An ox goad is about a six foot, like, broom pole. It's a pole. One end has a point on it and they use that one end on the point to prod the oxes, get them moving, get your fat butt moving. And on the other end was a bit of tin and they use that to clean the mud off the plough and off their sandals probably. Shamgar killed 600 trained fighters with a bit of wood that was used to prod oxen to get moving. Now, we only read one verse of Shamgar, but I've got a fair idea that it doesn't say in there that Shamgar negotiated with God about the weaponry he might use. I reckon he was more like, well, if you're prepared to take a punt with me, someone who doesn't even know my father's name, someone, if you actually go through his name, Shamgar, was not even Israel, he was not even a Hebrew. His name would not be consistent. He was probably from the Hittites up further north. He was probably an Egyptian from up further north. But I reckon Shamgar's kind of said, well, if you're prepared to take a punt with me, then I'll use a stupid ox goad and do whatever you want me to do. Sometimes, church, what we need to do is say, God, use me with all my flaws, with... with the fact that I don't even have an ancestry, the fact that I was born on the wrong side of the tracks, the fact that I have not much, but God, if you're prepared to use me, then I'm prepared to be used. You see, the miracle is often found in our willingness to say yes without knowing how. You know, C3 Hobart was not always in this building. In fact, the first few years were in, I think, if I get it right, like rented classrooms in the university down in Sandy Bay. We were not always in this building. We didn't always have a place where 400 people could come in at one time and a worship team like this. What it started with was rented classrooms in the university and probably a guitar and people singing out of key, yet almost weekly people got saved. 
Why? Because C3 Hobart, the leaders and the team, used what they had in their hand and said, use us, even if we're a bunch of mugs, because God will bless you. We don't have to start with this. Down in the Huon Valley, at 2.30 this afternoon, we will meet in a multi-purpose room, which is the Huon Valley Primary School. And we set out plastic chairs that are as uncomfortable as, which is why I only preach half the time down there. <laughs> and it's light, and there's these really weird kind of kids' drawings on the wall. Seriously, kids need to do more practice drawing. What are you teachers doing? <laughs> They're bad. Just saying. Weren't you all taught to... Inside? Anyway, anyway. And I'm believing that one day we will have a building down in the Huon Valley that we will call our own. I'm believing that. And I'm believing it will, be, it will be something where we can walk in there and the chairs are out and doing these things. But until we have that time, what we're going to do is we're going to use what God has given us and we're going to reach people and we're going to see lives change and we're going to see souls won. And so we just need to use what is in our hand. Don't not go out there and serve because you don't have it in your hand now. You know, people talk themselves out of being useful because they feel useless. Here's my thought on this one. If you wait till you're in the right place with the right conditions, facing the right situations before you take a shot, before you make a decision, decision to say, yes, God, you've actually already made your decision. If you're delaying saying, yes, God, you've already made a decision. Third point is this. God will turn what we see as insignificant to shine his glory. In Zechariah 4.10, in the time of Zechariah, many of the older Jews were, 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 were dis, disenchanted, they were disheartened, when they realised that the new temple would not, be, would not match the splendour of the one that Solomon built. And they were whinging and they were bitching and complaining. Sorry, I can't use that word. And they were complaining. And as a result, as a result if, if you read through Zechariah, they threw their toys out of the cot, Right? Why? Because it wasn't as good as, the, uh, you know, as the, the, the temple that our fathers had that Solomon built. And so Zechariah rebukes him and says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Can I talk to all connect group leaders here? You may have two, three, four, ten in your connect group. Thank you for what you are doing. Because with small beginnings, you're seeing relationships getting built. You're seeing people come into your homes and share what is on their heart. And you're seeing lives change. And there is multiplication happening. And there will be times when God will use you, maybe to speak to 20, maybe to speak to 2,000. But at this particular time, God's getting you to do a work that he needs you to do right there and then. The point is that what you do to, for God may seem small and insignificant now, but your willingness to give and serve may be what God uses to save a nation. My pastor in the Middle East was a guy called David Wallen. David was from York in England, and I'm not even going to try his accent. And if you looked at this pastor, he was a simple everyday ship's captain. And in the mid-90s, he was a drunk. 
And he walked into an old Anglican church on a cold Sunday night, which it always is probably in York, and it was raining. And as he walked in there, there was five other people in the congregation. He was the sixth. And the pastor got up there. And I can imagine the pastor thinking to himself, it's cold, it's wet, it's the middle of winter, we're in York. There's only six of you here. Be blessed, go home. The five other people in there were the pastor's family. David walked in there. And he shares a story that this pastor left nothing in the tank. He preached the word of God for one person there. He preached the word of God for one. This man gives up his life as a ship's captain, moves to the Middle East, opens a church, sets up a church there. When we were there, it grew from about 200 to about 800 people. We were seeing about 25 to 30 salvations a week of Southeast Asian males, Hindus and Buddhist young men and, who came from Nepal and, and uh, Bangladesh and places like this and they were giving their lives, they were being set free, there was the Holy Spirit moving across that place. That same church has planted 14 other churches. Now if you imagine going back to that pastor in that Anglican church in York, if he sat there and said, no, I won't worry about it tonight because, you know, look, there's only one other person there. You know, God said, if there's one other there, give everything you've got. Everything you've got in your tank because it might be that one time that you will see someone else go out there. There might be the next Billy Graham sitting in here. John Lindell says this, the church is not the only place God can use you, but it's a place he certainly will. Fourth point is this, and I'll grab the guys, is be ready. Be ready. On July the 2nd, 1863, one of the most defining moments of American history took place. Arguably this moment uh, saved the United States. The person behind the moment was a guy called Joshua Chamberlain. He was a commanding officer of the 20th Regiment from Maine. And on the morning of July the 2nd, Chamberlain and his regiment were assigned a, a pivotal role for the, the Union Army. Chamberlain was given the task of defending the far left flank. If he was overrun, the Confederate Army would, be, would sweep the entire Union. Throughout the day, the 20th Maine were attacked repeatedly by the Confederates. Again and again, Chamberlain's troops repelled the assaults. Finally, with many of his soldiers killed in the fight and ammunition depleted, another attack would be known to break the flanks and overrun their troops. The battle would be lost and the army of North Virginia would have a clear path to attack D.C., Chamberlain could not withstand another assault, yet he knew he could not withdraw from his position. With a rebel army beginning another advance, Chamberlain did something incredibly unexpected. He asked his troops to remain faithful and to go again. It's reported he said to them, go again, go again. He said, put aside the scars of battle and go again. 
Put aside what you've just seen and go again. Put aside the overwhelming odds are in front of us and go again. This morning in Hobart, there'll be about 4% of the population in churches. There is overwhelming odds against us, but we're called to go again. And Chamberlain rallied these troops. And it was reported that one of them said, we have no ammunition left. We have nothing left to give. To which Chamberlain said, what's in your hand? What is in your hand? They had a bayonet. That's all they had left. No ammunition, they had a bayonet. The place was Gettysburg and the battle changed the course of history. In the single verse of Scripture we read, Shamgar used what was in his hand, which was an ox goad. Shamgar, who didn't even know who his father was. Shamgar, who wasn't even a Hebrew. Shamgar, who was just fighting, not even knowing. Shamgar, who didn't even probably know really who God was, but what he did is he allowed himself to be used by God. You see, you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to have pastor in front of your name. You don't need to be in a place. You don't need to have been a Christian for 20 years before you serve. You don't need to do these things. God will use you right now. You may not even have a relationship right now. You may have walked in the door this morning and you don't even know who Jesus Christ is in your life. You may not even know who Jesus Christ is. And you may be struggling with that. What I want to say is go again now. Go again now. Put up your hand and say, God, I don't even understand you yet, but I will be used by you. I don't even know the books of the Bible, but I will be used by you. I can't speak, I stutter, but I will be used by you. I don't have any money, but I will be used by you. Shamgar, you'll remember that name, won't you? We're going to have kids born called Shamgar in this church. British Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli once said this, one secret of success in life is for a man to be ready for his opportunity when it comes. Are we ready today, church? Are we ready to put up our hand? Are we ready to say, use me? Are we ready to say, God, use me? We've got a really exciting thing that we're going to be doing right now. Because as you would know, or maybe you're new to church today, we have a location down in the Huon Valley. And we've been going about five, six months down there now. And as Morella and I prayed for this about 18 months ago, we felt on our hearts to move into this place even though we didn't have a location pastor in place. And even our bosses kind of said, "Mm, not the way you should do this. 
but they said, we believe you if this is what you feel. Because what we felt was that there would be a team that would be established down there and they would grow as a family and that what would come out of that is that people would arise up in leadership. People would arise up as location pastors. People would arise up and say, use me. I may not have much. I can't recite the Bible to you. I, I, I Just simply me. It doesn't matter what my last name is. It doesn't matter who I'm the son of or the daughter of. It doesn't matter. They said, use me. And over the last three or four months, Morella and I have been praying into that. And isn't God good? Isn't God good? Because that's exactly what God did, right? And so I have the absolute privilege and we're going to have the privilege as a church to be praying for Nicole Schenk as our location pastor in the Huon Valley. I'm going to ask Nicole to come up. Use me. Use me. Have you got your ox code ready? Yeah? You can, yeah? Are you, you going to prod Raymond with it? Yeah? Use me. She's up here petrified. Do you know there's some scars she's already carrying in ministry? Why? Because she loves people. That's what happens when you get into ministry. Sorry, we didn't tell you that one. But see, you get into ministry because you love people. You look around and you love people and you want to see people go from surviving to thriving, wherever they are. You look around and you celebrate with every person as you see battles won for them. As you see them move in their faith and in their steps and in what they do. And you celebrate on the inside. I was up at the national conference just last week. And one of the pastors I was talking to says, the ministry sucks, right? Because when, when things are good, hear me on this one, it doesn't really suck. Just being real with you, right? Yeah? But see, when, 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 when we see salvations and we see these things, we see things happen, we give God all the glory because that's what we do and that's what we should always do. Yet when we see brokenness, we've got to step in and help. But what we've got to remember is this, it's not by our strength, it's by His. And we must always remember that. Nicole's not doing this by herself. Nicole's doing this with the amazing support of her husband, Raymond, who's going to come up and join us now as well. And also her three beautiful boys, Caleb, Zach and Jemai. Come on up, guys. I'm going to ask Morella to come up and our, uh, some of our spiritual oversight team, Innocent and James. Uh, Leone, are you here as well? Yep, great. And I'm going to ask Sharon to come up. Sharon's played a pivotal role in helping birth our, our Huon Valley down there. It's done an amazing role in that space. The reason I've got the family up here. Get in close, Caleb. Get in close. 
The reason I've got the family up here is because you do ministry together as a family, right? You celebrate with each other, you cry with each other and, and you know, you get alongside each other. And so this is a family, this is a really proud moment in our church where we get to celebrate a family that says, use me with whatever I've got. And can I just share with you, church, they won't be perfect. Close, won't be perfect. Yet believe their heart of what they're doing. They've got a love for the people in the Huon Valley. They've got a desire and they've got a vision for the people in the Huon Valley. They have submitted themselves under Morella and I to grow, to learn. And it's our absolute privilege to be able to empower into them. And we're believing that on this stage here, we're going to see many of these times coming, right? Many of these times coming. As we see more locations because we might be against overwhelming odds like Shamgar was when he faced 600 people. But I'm telling you, the more locations we do, the more people get to come in and fellowship, the more people get to know Jesus Christ. And we will turn this place around one person at a time. So we're going to pray for them. I'm going to ask as a church though, we're actually going to stand. We're going to stand. I want you to reach out your hands to them. We're going to be doing this down in the Huon Valley today as well. So it'd be really exciting if we got some support down there. But I want you just to reach out your hands to these guys. Innocent, I'm going to hand over to you. I'm going to ask you to pray for this family for us. Father, we, we are reminded of the church at Antioch. That as they were praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them for. Your word said when they had prayed for them, they sent them on their way. Father, we just want to thank you for Nicole and Raymond, oh God, and the family. We want to lay our hands on them, oh God, and set them apart for the work of ministry that you have called them for. Father, we do acknowledge that they have not walked this way before. But just like Moses said, that he said, if your presence is not going to go with us, it's better that we don't go there. But you promised Moses and said, my presence will go with you. Father, we pray that your presence may go with these brethren. I pray for incredible favor. Father, if they stand and minister, let them grow in favor with men, favor with God my God and in favor, oh God in every way. Father, I pray for wisdom. I pray for courage. I pray for patience. I pray for the fruits of the Spirit to be really filled right, oh God, on their lives. Father, we thank you. We thank you. Strengthen them, Lord. Strengthen them, Holy Spirit. Give them the wisdom they need. And we thank you as a church as we send them away. My Father, we send them away with your blessings in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we give these guys a round of applause? Let's stay on our feet. 
Hi, thanks for listening to C3 Hobart Online. We hope you've enjoyed this message. If you'd like to know more, you can find us at c3hobart.org.au.